Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 143. Look at the CapEx. Hi, I'm Neil. When analyzing Apple from a financial perspective, there are a few financial metrics that jump out at me for their usefulness and value. Free cash flow is a great way of measuring Apple's cash-generating machine. One way of assessing the efficiency of that machine is to look at capital expenditures, or CapEx. Today's episode will be dedicated to going over Apple's CapEx. For the first time in 16 years, Apple expects its CapEx to decline during the current fiscal year. That's noteworthy. And I think when we go over the different theories and the most plausible explanation for why CapEx is declining, and we then look at how Apple peers approach CapEx, I think we are going to get a pretty unique way to look at how Apple is being managed and to see how Apple is unique when compared to the other Wall Street giants, such as Amazon, Alphabet, Microsoft, and Facebook. The best place to begin our discussion in this episode is to define CapEx. Now, given everyone's different background, I don't want to get caught in the weeds here. And I do something similar whenever I talk about free cash flow, because I don't think that really ends up helping anyone. Instead, I want to go over what I think are the most essential elements to understand about CapEx and which we will utilize for the other parts of our discussion. CapEx refers to cash that a company spends on buying or upgrading long-term assets. And these assets are used to improve a company's cash flow, productivity, and ultimately value. These assets could be tangible, and so that's a building, a data center. They could be intangible, such as a patent portfolio. In Apple's financial filings, the company gives pretty good detail as to the items included under CapEx. We have product tooling and manufacturing process equipment. We have data centers, corporate facilities and infrastructure, and even things like retail stores. One way of distinguishing CapEx from, say, just normal, regular operating costs is that CapEx benefits a company beyond the current fiscal year that that expense occurs. While operating costs are deducted as they are incurred, CapEx are one-time costs that are capitalized on the balance sheet. The expense is spread across the lifespan of the asset. And this brings us to items like depreciation and amortization. At this point, let's go over a pretty straightforward example. Apple Park. Apple reportedly spent $5 billion building Apple Park. And let's assume that Apple received one very large bill associated with construction. So they received a $5 billion bill. How does Apple account for that? 
Is it CapEx? Operating cost? Is it R&D? We could ask ourselves a question. Will Apple Park benefit Apple beyond the fiscal year that that $5 billion bill came in? Yes. Apple Park will provide probably decades worth of benefit to Apple. And so the construction of that entity won't be found in operating cost. It won't flow through the income statement. It would be categorized as CapEx. It would be capitalized on the balance sheet. And the expense of that construction project will be spread across the lifespan of the asset. And that expense would be pushed through in terms of depreciation. What about Apple's water bill for the subsequent year? Is that CapEx, R&D, operating costs? Will Apple benefit from that beyond the year that the expense occurs? Well, to pay for the water bill, no. So that would be operating costs. It would flow through the income statement. Now, of course, in reality, it's not so simple. So, for example, cash that is spent on assets that have not proven commercially viable, that falls under R&D. And you can see how that could get very tricky if you're building something or if you're spending money on assets that, well, is it CapEx? Should it be put on the balance sheet? Is it R&D? Should it flow through the income statement? Now think about something like all of these facilities attached to Project Titan. You can see the difficulty associated with breaking those costs into CapEx and R&D. The takeaway, though, and this is extremely important, is that Apple CapEx is not a reflection of Apple R&D. So just because Apple CapEx declines, that doesn't mean that Apple is dedicating less money to R&D. It's a different item. Back in episode 122, an Apple R&D bonanza, we went over Apple R&D, and that continues to increase as time goes on. One way of putting all of this together is to think of Apple as a cash-generating machine. CapEx is related to the efficiency of the machine. So how much money does Apple have to put into the cash-generating machine to keep it functioning in the future? Meanwhile, R&D is like the fuel, the energy source for the machine. If you stop putting money in R&D, eventually the machine will shut off. So you can see how you need both. You need to keep putting money into the machine to keep it running nice and smooth, but you also need the fuel to keep it going in the future. I think that does a good job at framing CapEx versus R&D. Let's turn to some of the numbers. At the end of each fiscal year, Apple provides an expectation for the amount of CapEx that it will report during the upcoming year. 
over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article, Apple's Declining CapEx, I include a number of exhibits that go over all of these numbers. So if you want to check it out, definitely visit the article. Exhibit 1 shows that for the first time in 16 years, Apple expects a year-over-year decline in CapEx for fiscal year 2019. Apple's initial expectation called for $14 billion of CapEx. If we go back a year, the original expectation for 2018 was $16 billion of CapEx. So that should raise an eyebrow or two. The next exhibit includes Apple's final CapEx reported at the end of each fiscal year. So for a number of reasons, including the difficulty associated with estimating CapEx, Apple's final total will often differ from its initial expectations. Looking back at previous years, the trend had been for CapEx to come in less than initial expectations. So this is why when looking at the most recent 10Q, that was filed after Apple reported first quarter 2019 earnings, it wasn't too surprising to see that management had actually reduced its CapEx expectations for 2019. Apple now expects $12 billion of CapEx in 2019. Again, the initial expectation that was found in the 10K for 2018 indicated $14 billion of CapEx in 2019. So Apple lowered its estimate by $2 billion. Based on this most revised estimate, Apple may end up reporting a nearly 30% year-over-year decline in CapEx. That's substantial. In my view, that's noteworthy. Up to now, we've been talking about reported totals for CapEx. However, due to accounting, the amount of cash that is actually leaving Apple's account in order to fund all of that CapEx will likely differ from reported totals. This isn't that big a deal, but I think it's important to recognize in Apple's financial statements where they mention this cash, where they disclose how much cash is being spent on long-term assets. And that is found in the cash flow statement. In the line item, payments for acquisition of property, plant, and equipment. One of the useful things associated with that line item is we can use it to compare the amount of cash Apple is spending on CapEx versus its peers. A lot of companies may not necessarily disclose what they expect CapEx to be in any given year. So instead, we could just turn to the cash flow statement. This brings us to the theories. What may be behind Apple's expectation for CapEx to decline by nearly 30% in fiscal year 2019? There are a number of plausible theories. We will go over pretty quickly four theories. The first one, Apple is buying less tooling and manufacturing machinery. In the late 1990s, Apple began outsourcing product manufacturing to third-party contract manufacturers. It was a significant transformation of Apple's business, and really Apple has been able to get to where it is today because of this shift. The move was done in an attempt to improve Apple's balance sheet and create a leaner, nimbler supply chain. Given Apple's reliance 
on contract manufacturers, the company doesn't own a complex web of factories around the world. However, Apple does own specialized tooling and machinery found in those factories. The second theory, Apple cut back the pace of retail store openings. Apple may be spending less on its brick-and-mortar retail apparatus. So after an aggressive store opening strategy in China, Apple cut back on its retail footprint expansion and instead has been focusing on opening fewer, more high-profile stores. The third theory, the CapEx headwind associated with Apple spending a lot on corporate facilities is winding down. Apple already spent aggressively on various capital investments, including new data centers, land purchases, the $5 billion Apple Park headquarters. So as Apple winds that down, you're seeing less of a CapEx headwind. The fourth theory, Apple's initial expectations will end up being proven wrong. It is certainly possible that Apple's expectation that CapEx will decline in 2019 may simply end up proving conservative. So maybe by the end of the year, Apple just simply says, oops, CapEx was actually much higher than we thought. There may be some logic found with each of the preceding theories. However, a few theories end up having more holes than others. There's two things to consider. In terms of retail stores, the declining number of retail store openings ignore what has been a substantial amount of resources being dedicated to store remodels around the world. I'm not sure if we just focus on the number of store openings, if that really tells us a whole lot here. I think there probably is continued investment in the retail apparatus. The second item has to do with lower expectations. As you mentioned a few minutes ago, management has already lowered its 2019 CapEx expectations from $14 billion to $12 billion. That makes it pretty unlikely that somehow Apple is going to end up reporting more like $17 billion of CapEx. So what do I think is going on here? When taking the preceding theories into consideration, two stand out as being the most logical. One is tooling and machinery. Two is taking a temporary breather when it comes to CapEx on corporate facilities. So let's look at that first item, tooling and machinery. On one hand, we have Apple experiencing a sales surge when it comes to wearables. On the other hand, we have iPhone sales declining. When you combine the two, the overall number of devices that Apple is selling has remained roughly the same. This would suggest no major growth in CapEx due to additional tooling and machinery. It's not as if Apple sold 300 million devices one year and now will be selling 500 million devices the next year. In addition, Apple's coming off a massive investment cycle for the iPhone. We had OLED, we had Face ID. 
I don't think management was exaggerating when they said that the iPhone 10 marked a turning point for the iPhone business in terms of where the product is headed. I think that dynamic likely resulted in elevated CapEx in recent years, and that CapEx is now cooling down a bit in 2019. At the same time, Apple management's CapEx expectation for 2019 likely reflects little growth in tooling and manufacturing machinery when it comes to a major new product category. Apple's fiscal year ends in September. When you look at the latest rumors regarding Apple glasses, it's not likely that high-volume production will occur in fiscal year 2019. If anything, it seems like that would be more of a 2020 event. Another contributing factor behind declining CapEx is that Apple likely finds itself facing less of a CapEx headwind from years of significant growth in infrastructure. When you take a look at Apple's most recent 10K, you'll see that the amount of building space that Apple either owns or leases was up 12% last year. In addition, Apple acquired almost 2,500 acres of land in 2018. They now own a little bit more than 7,000 acres, and that's primarily in the U.S. As Apple grows into its expanded footprint, the company is likely taking a temporary breather in terms of the amount of CapEx that's being spent on corporate facilities. This brings us to taking what we know about Apple's CapEx and seeing the decline and comparing that to what's going on at Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook. There has been a remarkable shift when it comes to CapEx among these Wall Street giants. As we discussed earlier, what we're going to do is take a look at payments for property, plant, and equipment. In 2016, Apple led the pack with nearly $13 billion of payments for property, plant, and equipment. The closest pair was Alphabet at $10 billion. Jump ahead two years. Alphabet's $10 billion of payments for property, plant, and equipment jumped to $25 billion. That's nearly double the second highest total reported by Facebook, $14 billion. If we then take Apple management's CapEx expectations, it is likely that Microsoft and Amazon will surpass Apple when it comes to payments for property, plant, and equipment. So that means in just two years, Apple would have gone from being the highest to lowest spender among this peer group in terms of payments for property, plant, equipment. The numbers are daunting. On a combined basis, the $32 billion increase in payments reported by Alphabet, Facebook, Amazon, and Microsoft between 2016 and 2018 exceeded Apple's payments for property, plant, equipment by 56 times. Alphabet's payments grew by $15 billion. Facebook grew by nine, Amazon by five, Microsoft by three, Apple 
less than $1 billion. This raises an interesting question and an obvious question. What is going on? What is driving this shift? I think there's a pretty straightforward answer here. Business models dependent on collecting as much of our data as possible require increasing investment on unprecedented rates. I don't think a lot of people have really been able to get their hands around this. It would explain the massive increases in payments for property, plant, and equipment reported by Google and Facebook. Each is a services company focused on offering free data capturing services to as many people as possible. The business models are dependent on achieving scale in order to grab as much data as possible. We could look at Amazon. It's a retail platform company focused on getting you to buy and consume more products over time. Scale in terms of purchase volume is needed in order for the cash flow, the reinvestment cycle to continue. And to be fair, Amazon's data capturing investments are a bit more difficult to observe given the company's need to make other long-term investments, such as to support its cloud business. We then turn to Apple. What kind of company is Apple? A lot of people continue to say Apple is a hardware company. An increasing number of people are now saying Apple is a services company. Most people are wrong. What they're doing is focusing on what's growing and then just saying, well, that's what Apple is. When iPhone sales were shooting higher, people said Apple was an iPhone company. Before then, Apple was an iPod company or a Mac company. Given the growth in services revenue, I guess it shouldn't be surprising that people are now saying Apple is a services company. They're all off the mark, though. Apple is a design company. Apple is focused on selling tools capable of fostering premium experiences. Instead of chasing scale with the goal of monetizing data or usage, Apple sells tools that management thinks people will want and are willing to pay for. This is key. For Apple, scale is considered a byproduct of a properly functioning business model. What does that mean? Declining CapEx in any given year does not necessarily reflect Apple management underinvesting in its business. Just because Google and Facebook see CapEx shoot higher, that doesn't mean that Apple's declining CapEx is a red flag, showing that Apple's not making the investments that it should be making. Instead, we are seeing a fundamental difference in business models. CapEx isn't R&D. CapEx is a reflection of the efficiency found for a company's cash-generating machine. The declines in Apple CapEx tell us that the company is leveraging its existing fixed assets to generate robust free cash flow. In essence, Apple's business model is CapEx light. 
at least relative to its peers. Ultimately, Apple's business model predisposes the company to superior free cash flow generation. The company is capable of monetizing premium experiences much more effectively and efficiently than anyone else. Free cash flow is a measure of how much cash is generated after taking into account CapEx and other costs associated with running the business. I looked at the amount of free cash flow reported by Apple, Alphabet, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, and I looked at it over the last 12 months. Apple's $62 billion of trailing 12-month free cash flow was $6 billion more than the combined free cash flow produced by Alphabet, Facebook, and Amazon during the same time period. Given how those data capturing companies find themselves needing to spend increasing amounts on CapEx, Apple will likely be able to maintain its significant free cash flow advantage for the foreseeable future. This is ultimately why CapEx is such an intriguing financial metric for Apple. It provides us a unique perspective into how Apple is different from other companies. I think CapEx also gives us something pretty unique. It ends up being a way of quantifying some of Apple's values and culture. Given Apple's quest to remain relevant in the future, the company will have no choice but to enter new industries. By studying Apple's approach to CapEx, we're able to get blueprints for how Apple may go about entering those new industries. That's going to do it for today's episode. I did want to point out that I continued this discussion in more detail in one of the recent daily updates that I sent to Above Avalon members. In particular, we looked at Apple's free cash flow advantage, and I tied that to Apple's Wall Street narrative. So that daily update is available. In addition, going through some of the more recent daily updates that have been published, one update we focused on Spotify declaring war against Apple over the App Store. One update went over my thoughts and perspective on Apple Glasses and how Apple is approaching face wearables pretty differently than a company like Microsoft or even Magic Leap. With only a few weeks left in Apple's second quarter, we took a look at the latest iPhone adoption trends to reach some conclusions about how iPhone sales are trending and how iPhone demand is trending on a sell-through basis. One update was dedicated to going over Tesla. We have the $35,000 Model 3, changes to how Tesla wanted to sell cars. I think there's a lot of questions surrounding the Tesla story. I went over fourth quarter 2018 smartwatch sales. I'm not a fan of these industry reports that are publishing smartwatch sales estimates. I think all the numbers are way off. So instead, I went through companies' earnings releases. I looked through conference calls, and in some cases, they provide smartwatch data. In other cases, they provide enough clues to back into very reliable smartwatch estimates. So we went over 
Apple Watch sales, Fitbit smartwatch sales, Fossil, Garmin, even Samsung. And we looked at this from a unit sales perspective and also a revenue perspective. And there are plenty of other topics discussed in the daily updates. So as you can see, we talk about a pretty diverse range of topics. If it is of interest to Apple, it is something that I talk about in the daily updates. For a full list of all of the topics, just head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the daily updates page. These daily updates represent the cornerstone of Above Avalon membership. So we talk about Apple business and strategy analysis, my Apple earnings and financial estimates, and my perspective and observations on current news, Apple competitors, and keynotes and events. To read daily updates previously sent to members and to have new daily updates delivered straight into your inbox throughout the week, all you have to do is become an Above Avalon member. Head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two options. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year, along with receiving the daily updates. Above Avalon members also have access to my Apple earnings model containing financial projections. Members also have access to my exclusive quarterly reports about Apple. Each report covers one topic. So far, there's been two reports. The first one took a look at Apple's leadership structure under Tim Cook and Johnny Ive. The second report was a deep dive into Apple's cash dividend strategy. Additional privileges and benefits associated with Above Avalon membership include the option of joining the member forum. So you can chat with other Above Avalon members on a wide range of topics. There's an archive so you can read previously sent material. And members have priority email access. You can receive timely responses to all email questions. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in these podcast episodes and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you enjoy becoming an Above Avalon member. Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So if you are currently an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you're thinking about becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. That's going to do it for today's episode. I will talk to you all later. Bye.